Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Uh, just coming off of the best football game of the season. How about you? I feel the same way. It's wild that the most important football game of the season ended up being one of the best of the season. Like, Brandon, start to finish, I think we could say Super Bowl 57, one of the best Super Bowls in our lifetime. I feel pretty comfortable as a 33-year-old man saying that. I, I do, Mike. Uh, I believe Willie's Super Bowl is sitting in my craw after telling those stories. But there was something about this Super Bowl, Mike, where I saw all of my favorite pe- plays. Is, does that make sense? Like, I think that's one of the reasons why I can equate. It wasn't just the the matchup and the game and the quarterbacks and the and the points scored, seven touchdowns. I, I saw some of my favorite plays in football. 
Yeah, we got a lot jam-packed into this game. You're right. If variety is the spice of life, then this was the exact opposite of a Dan Orlovsky meal. There was tons of seasoning on this thing. So uh, let's get to it, man. We got a great show for you guys today. Super Bowl recap podcast. We'll get to the game. We will get to the halftime show, the commercials, and one of the most important figures in my sports life has decided to go and enjoy retirement. So lots to get to on the podcast. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. It was a great week for that. We are back to normal podcast now. We enjoyed the week being out at Super Bowl 57 at Radio Row. You and I got on YouTube our challenge at the NFL Fan Fest up there where you thoroughly whoop my ass in the 40-yard dash at the end of this. So all in all, it was a blast of the week. If you missed any of it, especially check out the YouTube. We got to do a lot of fun visual shit while we were together in Arizona. Yeah, I, I miss – I've never missed you because we talk all the time. But I, I missed being in the same room with you, doing this podcast. Uh, you're still in Arizona. Uh, I'm, I'm back in Florida. And I'm left wanting a little bit more of you. I know. I feel the same way. Distance is going to make the heart grow fonder here, though. We had we had a fun week out here. And, and after all that, it, there is always this pressure on this game where yeah. you're never quite sure if it's going to live up to everything that we've tried to put into this. And from start to finish, the Chiefs get a 38-35 victory. They are your 2022-2023 Super Bowl champions. And Brandon, first and foremost, I think you've got to start with the resume that now exists for Patrick Mahomes coming off of this yeah. game. Patrick Mahomes now at the ripe old age of 27 has this as his list of accomplishments. Patrick Mahomes has now in this season in 2022 won the regular season MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, led the NFL in passing touchdowns and led the NFL in passing yards. The year after they let Tyreek Hill go, only three players Oof. have done in a whole career what Patrick Mahomes did in one season, and that is Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Kurt Warner. I guess we already knew that he was that guy, but it was odd to see him do this and get the accolade where for the majority part of the game, I thought Jalen Hurts looked like the better quarterback. It's amazing. It really was a tale of two halves in their entirety and also sort of what this season from Mahomes has been overall, where if you look statistically, you're absolutely right. You look in this game side-by-side side of these two quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, 27 for 38 for 304 through the air and a uh, passing touchdown and 15 carries for 70 yards and three touchdowns on the ground <laughs> compared to Mahomes, who was 21 to 27 for a buck 82 and three passing touchdowns. Was not the output. Mahomes, I think the over-under for him was set at like 291 for passing yards in this game. But this was, to me, Brandon, one, a story of toughness for Patrick Mahomes, who in the first half got tackled in a way by T.J. Edwards that re-aggravated that ankle injury and yeah. came back out at halftime and refused to be inhibited by that at all, but also someone who exercised the patience that has sort of been the hallmark of the last couple of seasons as we talked about how different defenses tried to approach them. It was all right. If we need to win with the running game, we can do that. If I've got to get the ball out of my hands quicker in an offense that's got more motion and less of the huck it, chuck it downfield shit to Tyreek Hill, we can do that. And I thought the second half of that game was the maturation of this player who also then made some of the most timely plays of the game with his legs that I think cemented what became his MVP bid. 
Yes, you can talk about the medal of Patrick Mahomes, but I like to talk about the other elements that got shot directly into his foot at halftime. I know people are joking about so fourth he, tranquilizers and whatnot, but it's, it feels like Michael Jordan's secret stuff from Space Jam just got put in a syringe and injected into that ankle. So he did say after the game that he didn't receive a shot at halftime, which means he probably received the shot before the game. And they weren't oh, going to okay, give you okay, another okay. one at halftime. And so yeah, okay, we'll give okay. them credit. And Brandon, you know how it is with any lower body injury. It always yeah. starts off like anytime you get hit in the lower leg, everything hurts. And it's your lower leg. So you're worried about the implications for Mahomes. He knows he's already injured. And so I think a lot of that reaction is just that initial shock. And then you go into the halftime locker room. Things calm down a little bit. The painkiller that was coursing in your veins at the beginning of the game keeps going into effect. And I just think in the second half, you saw the guy we've seen for the last couple of games who decided that I am going to go out here slightly altered. He said, you know, and joked after the game, I realized I needed to run straight forward, that going side to side wasn't going to be in the cards for me. Mm. But uh, again, that's just the ultimate flexibility of this guy, right? He seems to be operating, seeing zeros and ones with the matrix, understanding, all right, what is needed of me and what can I do? And being able to operate within those limits with his talent produces the result that we saw. I, I don't know how this connects. I feel like it's a direct correlation just because I'm a lineman. But the blocking and tackling in this game was phenomenal. Both, yeah. both sides. I mean, Brandon, when we asked the question, like, how did the Chiefs pull this off outside of the Patrick Mahomes part? I think you just hit on the two biggest factors for Kansas City. This offensive line, who I talked to my dad after the game, was on the call on sidelines for Westwood One and the radio call. And he had a chance to talk to Creed Humphrey, the center for Kansas City. And he said, we heard for the last two weeks nonstop talk about the other offensive line about the Eagles offensive line and how great this Eagles defense was. And they took that to heart and they were motivated by that for all the people that don't buy Jason or Travis Kelsey going on the microphone after and talking about how nobody picked them and nobody believed in them all year long. It was reflected in the Fox picks before the game that were a clean sweep for the Philadelphia Eagles. But for this group, they very much heard a lot of that conversation and seemed genuinely motivated by it and certainly came out and performed that way with their play. Yes, Mike, but I don't know what that why they felt the need to be motivated. Like we all saw Patrick Mahomes' ankle like in we saw him hobbling the entire AFC championship game. But let's not forget but the two weeks it takes to get to a Super Bowl and as tired as we got talking about his ankle, that's how fast that thing was healing, apparently. But him and Jalen hurt shoulder. I mean, both oh of those guys gosh. in this game deserve it. Oh my it. gosh. Think about it. We didn't even talk about that once. That's how good he played in that game. So both of these quarterbacks, man, incredible toughness on display. They were everything their teams needed them to be. Yes, but Mike, I can't help but to. I, now, I, I wanted the Kansas City Chiefs to win. I was rooting for them to win the entire time. That's why the the call at the end of the game made no difference to me, Mike. But now that the the game has ended, I'm starting to feel how sad I used to feel for those Andy Reid Eagles, right? Because like AJ Brown did his thing, uh, Jalen Hurts did his thing, the 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 slew of different shit, the octopus hit, like the the slew of different running backs and everyone trying to do their thing on defense for the Eagles. Like they did everything they had to do and was supposed to do, but still couldn't get that last drive. It's amazing. Looking at this game, Brandon, the Philadelphia Eagles had a 10 point lead at halftime. 
According to ESPN Stats and Info, teams leading by double digits at halftime in the Super Bowl are 26-1. and That lone loss was Super Bowl 51 where the Falcons gave up that 18-point lead. So it's you're right. It it is gutting for them. But going back to what you brought up here, the offensive line, I saw former Chiefs offensive lineman uh, Mitchell Schwartz tweeting about this with Mina Kimes. Mina pointed out rightly, in this game where we did talk a lot about that Eagles defensive line, the Eagles failed to record a sack in this game. And Mina pointed out the Eagles failed to record a sack in two games this season, week six versus Dallas and the Super Bowl. Ooh. So the Chiefs offensive line, big reason why, Mitch pointed out, they stayed ahead of the sticks on first and second down. Brandon, do you have any idea how many third downs the Chiefs attempted in this game? Ooh. Uh, yes, I'm going to guess six. Close, eight. They were four of eight on third down in this game. And as Mitch pointed out, only three of those were longer than third and four. So they were in third and short the entire night. Brandon, I went and looked at the numbers. According to True Media, Kansas City averaged just over six yards a carry and just over nine yards a reception on first and second down for the game. They never gave that Eagles defense a chance to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. There were maybe one or two plays where you got to see them put out their fun rush package and try and bully people. The rest of the time, it was the Eagles rush defense doing what it's done all year and unfortunately not holding up in those critical moments. Like when we look at what are the big regrets for Philadelphia in this game, it's really a season-long theme for them of despite acquiring Limbaugh Joseph, acquiring Indomitian Sue, getting Jordan Davis back, they never were able to meaningful impact, meaningfully impact their rush defense in a way that held up. We talked to Ben Solak about it on this podcast earlier last week. The Eagles defense is basically saying, Jonathan Gannon company, we're willing to give up rush yards. And the Chiefs in the second half said, we are willing to take them. I thought game plan wise in the second half, they did all the stuff I expected them to do in the first half of this game. Like coming mm. out to start, if you got a bank quarterback with a banged up ankle and you're going against a defense that's going to try and get after you with a bunch of Ferraris on the D-line, you would say, jet motions, hit them with screens, try and hit them with some trap plays in there, run downhill right at them. And in the first right. half, we didn't see as much of that. It's almost like the Mahomes ankle injury kind of reminded Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. All right, hey, we need to be cognizant of this. This guy feels like Superman, but we are one bad hit away from this going sideways on us. And so what did you see in the second half? Tons more motions. Tons. The first three plays of the first drive of the second half, downhill runs for the Kansas City Chiefs. Isaiah yeah. Pacheco, big factor in the second half. Down in the goal line, scoring two consecutive drives to those cool motion plays where you had on one Kadarius Tony go in and out and fake out the Philly defense. And on the next drive went and had uh sky Moore do the same exact thing. Andy Reed and Eric Bieniemy and this chief's offense masterclass game plan in the second half of this game. And I thought that was all the difference in the world. Yes, Mike, the game plan w- was, was clear as day. As I was watching the game, I-, I thought the Eagles clearly have a better team and maybe even a better offense, but the Chiefs' offense looks smarter. Mm-hmm. And and also, I feel like the other players that aren't the offensive line were blocking their ass off, Mike. Like, that 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 play for uh, Pacheco, McKinnon was the lead blocker on, yeah. on that play. Like, I, I was stunned to see uh, Ford, if, whatever the these other, 
I, I think I called them minion wide receivers when they first got signed because all of them were just kind of tall and lanky. Like, we didn't hear from MVS in this game because we were too busy hearing from Juju Smith-Schuster. That's wild to think about. You're right, MVS, who was the hero of the AFC Championship game, zero catches for zero yards in this game. Went from 100. That's, that's what this Chiefs offense became this year. You never knew, outside of Travis Kelsey, who 6 for 81, a receiving touchdown in this game, certainly the same difference maker he's always been. But opposite that, this was the Juju Smith-Schuster game. In the second half, when they needed those short area catches, they went to Juju, and he delivered in a big-time way. They scored on every drive in the second half of this game. And it was because their offense, like you said, adjusted. If you want to play that symbolizes exactly what you talked about, Brandon, we'll talk about the penalty at the end of this game. But you remember after that, you had uh, Jarek McKinnon break into the open field and was smart enough to get down on the one-yard line yes. and Ooh. make sure that he didn't go into the end zone. You saw what Greg Olson was screaming about in the booth and what we always hear these smart teams do at the end of the game. They were prepared for the situation, and they executed it when it came up. But it was like they took the Eagles' script, Mike. One of the reasons I thought the Eagles could possibly win this game was time of possession alone. Like Patrick Mahomes was not getting on the field. The most damning stat I saw at halftime was the Eagles had 17 first downs in the thir- first half. The Chiefs ran 20 plays in the first half. Oof. It was exactly what we had talked about. The Eagles had an offense that could naturally take the air out of you and could give you those long, sustained shots that we saw Patrick Mahomes just standing on the sideline. I will say, Brandon, the other part of that that's a little bit surprising is the Eagles, especially in the second half, were not able to get much going with their run game. They were a team with a 10-point lead yeah. coming out of halftime and were not and that's where I got to give credit to on the other side C- Steve Spagnuolo the defensive coordinator for Kansas City and the way that unit tackled in that game like Nick Bolton had himself a freaking day. I know he's going to be remembered for the fumble recovery touchdown that he had uh in the first half, but the entire game he was seeing, hitting and attacking really really well. It was incredible. That's what I loved about this game, especially when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Everyone's talked about Chris Jones, but in this defense, it's just been players stepping up when they needed to. And and obviously, Nick Bolton watched enough film to be like, okay, I, I can see where I can take advantage of this team. Think about it. the perfect film play for Nick Bolton that I remember was – one of and the Eagles' fourth and short, third and short situations, which, once again, they were predictably incredible in most of these spots, right? Fourth right. down for the Eagles on the night, two of two, but 11 of 18 on third down. A lot of those were third and shorts that they did the rugby scrum thing and were able to convert on. But you remember there was one where they lined up, tackle over to the right, they had an extended formation on that side, and they had run that, I think, two or three games ago. And on that play, they run a toss out to the running back, and Nick Bolton saw it coming a mile away, beat every block to the outside, and stuffed that thing short of the first down marker. I believe the Eagles ended up converting on a Jalen Hurts draw, but it was that was, to me, the play where I was like, okay, these guys are dialed in on the other side, right? You saw Spags, especially after those big plays at the beginning, played a bunch of too high, had the linebackers muddying up the look up front. They were spying Jalen Hurts for a lot of the game, and they were really sure tacklers. I think that point you made yeah. was the one that stuck out the most. Yeah, but I, did Jalen Hurts get sacked? I, I can't, I can't Jalen remember. Jalen Hurts got sacked twice, technically, in this game. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't. I don't remember him dropping back and, and catching anything. Uh, 
But yeah, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, poor Boston Scott. He was sitting there watching the Chiefs uh, uh, championship or trophy presentation uh, while everyone else was in the locker room. Uh, It it seemed like it's hard to say because they really were bullying to an extent at one point. But as soon as they had to abandon the run and they were completing passes – like Devontae Smith looked every bit of the Heisman Trophy winner he once was. AJ Brown looked every bit of the the reason why you trade for him. Uh, and shit, Dallas Goddard looked like a maniac. But the Huge. fact that they had to lean on the pass really made them one dimensional. Yeah, well, especially in the second half, like. Jalen Hurts wasn't an effect, as effective as a runner in the second half, down in and down out, outside of some of the goal line plays. Crazy stat I saw in the game, by the way. I saw Taylor Bashotti from the NFL Network tweet this out. Jalen Hurts became the first Alabama alum to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. What? Yeah. What? Stunned. What? Stunned. I mean, he, he also became the uh, the – has the most rushing yards uh, out of any quarterback in the Super Bowl, which, like, we would have figured that with, with Jalen Hurts. But, damn, what? Yeah. Who, what? It, it was amazing. I, I do want to bring it to that because, obviously, we're singing the Chiefs' praises a lot, and rightly so. What they did in the second half, what Mahomes did toughness-wise for Andy Reid legacy-wise, we get to start having a lot of fun conversations with Patrick Mahomes now coming off this game. It's part of why, like, Deep down inside me, part of me was always going to be okay if either team won because this outcome for Patrick Mahomes, like this, ESPN Stats and Info, Patrick Mahomes is the first player in NFL history to win multiple championships and multiple league MVPs within his first six seasons. The first? The first. He is the first player in NFL history to do that. Uh, Danny Heifetz over at uh, The Ringer also tweeted this. Mahomes is now 2-1 in Super Bowls and has five AFC championship appearances. That matches Peyton Manning's entire career. He has two Super Bowl rings at 27 years old. John Elway got his first Super Bowl ring at 37. This guy's already in Mount Rushmore air. Talent, like, I understand wins aren't a quarterback stat. But talent-wise... What he's done statistically in these seasons. And then if you want the top end accomplishments, the things and the reasons why we call Tom Brady the GOAT, what you do in the postseason when the chips are on the line and your team needs you the most, the guy's answered everything. The guy's given you everything. He is, at this point as an NFL quarterback, almost infallible or at least feels that way. And that's insane to say about a 27-year-old who just completed his, for his sixth season. I mean, it, it, we have to believe our eyes, Mike. We'll have this conversation later, but like Rihanna being pregnant, like what are we actually seeing? Like I, I thought it was crazy after the game when Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, Aaron Andrews was talking to Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey was stepping all over his interview like he does with Patrick Mahomes. But uh, he said, "I'm fortunate enough to have someone to chase." Like Brady yeah. won seven and went to ten, and that means that I have to get to eleven and and win eight. Like I. I I heard that and I was like, okay, this feels a little dirty, a little nasty to like after the second Super Bowl to kind of jump straight to chasing Brady. Obviously, it's the the LeBron level, LeBron James level status that we expect from Patrick Mahomes since he got in the league. But with those numbers, Mike, it's more realistic than not. That's what I'm saying. Like, because of his trajectory, we're allowed to have these conversations. It's by no means irresponsible. He's on that path. 
He is he has done more early in his career than pretty much any quarterback we've seen in NFL history. It's been amazing to watch. And so I hear that and it's almost refreshing to see a guy that understands like, yeah, I've got an opportunity here. And what he's gone out and done so far is demonstrated it every step along the way. Like we said, he can adjust and be that guy. Travis Kelsey, definitely a fan of the microphone. You can tell that guy started a podcast this year. There is no doubt. I will say, though, (laughs) to the point about not believing the Chiefs, before we talk a little bit about the Eagles, Mm -hmm. I was flabbergasted. So at Will Schlosser on Twitter, DM'd me after the game, and all it said was, breaks my heart as an Eagles fan, but thanks. I owe you a beer if you're ever in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I, was, I didn't understand why. I opened up my phone and I couldn't see the, the rest of my DM history. I looked back on the browser. And on September 8th, Will Schlosser DM'd me and said at 5.53 a.m., Hey, man, gut pick without thinking too much. Who wins the Super Bowl? And my immediate response was KC. <laughs> so despite the fact that I picked the Eagles this week, Travis, just to let you know, there was somebody out here who believed in you. And it was me all the way back in September. Hey, you—that's you talking yourself. You're talking yourself out of your gut pick, and I, 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 you know, you gotta, you gotta be smart about. It. Also, check your DMs because the answers are there. I, that's just why I need to keep track of the shit that I say all year. Okay, so I wanted to mention before we moved away from the the Chiefs, I wanted to and Patrick Mahomes, the eleven players that have won MVP and Super Bowl in the same season, right? Bart Starr, Terry Bradshaw. Mark Mosley, Lawrence Taylor, Joe Montana, Emmett Smith, Steve Young, Brett Favre, Terrell Davis, Kurt Warner, and now Patrick Mahomes. And obviously, he's sitting there with the uh, Super Bowl MVP as well, and that's even more rarefied here. I just think that we all said that he could hang up his cleats and go into the Hall of Fame without even playing this game. Like you said, those conversations are more validated now. Yeah, it it, it really is. It's going to be fun. Like what he represents as an opportunity for us in the NFL now is fun. And getting to it's the thing we always say make sure we stop and smell the roses on this because a guy making $500 million investment seem like a bargain is not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to be real. I, well, let's. The Chiefs were good before he got there as well, though. Like whatever Alex Smith, I don't even. I can't even remember who the head coach was at the. Was it Andy Reid? Oh yeah, it was like, Andy Reid. Yeah, like with the, the Chiefs were, they had been a force for a very long time before Patrick Mahomes came there with his godlike talent. Oh, it, we talk about this all the time. Where you wind up matters a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It creates the circumstances for this. And again, wins aren't a quarterback stat. That's not what any of this has been about. But what he has meant to this team and what he's allowed them to do off the field and the moves that they make and on the field has been spectacular. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So, wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. 
And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, on the other side, did any of what you saw in this game change your opinion about Philadelphia? I feel like they're a lot better than I thought they'd be. Um, out, even outside of the scripted plays at the beginning, Mike, like I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to think when the wheels fall off. It, it may have been that Nick Bolton play uh, where where Jalen Hurts started to doubt himself after that silly. It wasn't really a strip sack, but it became that. And it was, you know, scoop. Uh, then when I said when I said at the beginning of the show, my favorite plays happened. That was one of them, Mike, like yeah. a single player taking the ball from the quarterback, scooping it up. And then scoring. Yeah, we had we had that one and we had the octopus happen in the same game. A player scoring a touchdown and the two-point conversion, which congratulations to anyone who put, uh, went, put money down on that one in DraftKings Sportsbook. That had to be a fun payout. But Brandon, you're right. And what I will say about that is I come away with this game even more impressed by Jalen Hurts than I was before. Yes. Like with all yes. the things that we mentioned as a background, yes. that play, think about that. Jalen Hurts, they had run some version of that quick draw a bunch this year where the timing's a little bit different than normal. And they were using Nick Bolton to spy the quarterback, have a watch on him because they knew Jalen was deadly on those downs. And he makes a great play there. The next drive, they come back. Pivotal fourth down on that drive, they call the same play and get Jalen Hurts on a draw for a first down where he gets Bolton to commit left and goes back right. And then they get down on the goal line and they run a QB counter out of empty. So ostensibly, it becomes a draw for a touchdown. Like that is coach, play caller, and quarterback all having the confidence to say, we are not going to be deterred by what just happened. I thought that was a real gut check moment for that team. I thought Jalen Hurts is a downfield passer coming off the NFC Championship where we wondered about the shoulder. Big time throws to Devonta Smith. Big time throws to A.J. Brown. It was all there, Brandon. I think for them, the biggest regrets they're going to have in this game are their defense all season long was never able, like we said, to shore up that run defense. And then Aaron Schatz pointed this out to us. Both bad special teams coming into this and the Chiefs were able to make the play they were able to make the one play between early in this game the Chiefs uh the Chiefs really had to erase the lack of urgency on fourth down early in the game settling for a field goal that also paid off the doink bet for a lot of people you're looking for things early in this game where I was wondering all right if the Eagles hold on to win Nick Sirianni being willing to go for it and be aggressive on these fourth downs when Andy Reid early in the game decided to settle for a field goal that bit him in the ass. They were able to erase that with that Kadarius Tony, the longest uh, punt return in or in uh, Super Bowl history. In that 65 them, yards. 65 yarder that set him up inside the five yard line for an easy touchdown. Between that and a defensive score, if you give that to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, you're not going to win a lot of football games. Yes, but it's crazy that a missed field goal from the Chiefs was nullified by a bad punt by the Eagles. Like, yeah. like the the punt was the issue there, yep. and I and apparently it sounded like uh, if you listening to the to the uh, the game broadcast that the special teams coordinator for the Chiefs hinted to Greg Olson yeah. that there hasn't been a touch a touchdown return or a punt return for a touchdown in a Super Bowl as if this was going to happen as if they saw the deficiencies in the Eagles 
punt team. It's just simply the punt team. Well, you know, Brandon, that's a great segue, actually, because on that play, Kadarius Tony took it all the way left and was able to cut back here. And people may point out some of that might have had to do with the footing on the field. Um, Ooh, which brings up the question. Which brings up the question, Brandon. Who had a worse look in this game? Grass or the officials? Mike. I got to say the grass. I got to say the grass because you can say you can say the officials should have let him play, but so should have the grass. The, the grass should have let him play. Why did they paint the entire field, Mike? It, it was I, I was surprised that the Chiefs players didn't change cleats uh, during the game. And it was such a big deal that all the Eagles players, especially Jalen Hurts, had ch- uh, changed cleats uh, after the first quarter. But maybe something to the consistency. Yeah, they showed in the game, which great flex for Jalen Hurts, by the way, when they showed all the Eagles players changing cleats, Jim changing from the Jordan 11 cleats to the Jordan 1 cleats. I just felt like that was the dude that was looking to flex his collection. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But longer spikes with the Jordan 1s. That is very true. And that was a huge factor in this game, Brandon. And for the NFL, like the, the things you never want coming off of these games are things other than the players being the stories. And I don't think it should for this game. This game was excellent. We had all these great things that we just talked about from both teams. Two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, one and two in the MVP race, showing up in a massive way for their teams in this game. Like the fact that the Eagles all year long wrote a defense that in this game got blanked in the sack department is uh, you know, equal parts, them not being able to stop the run and the Chiefs on the other side being one of the best teams in football. But for the NFL coming off this game where you had articles, Brandon, written as mo- as recently as yesterday, the grass at Super Bowl 57 has been years in the making. Josh Weinfuss at ESPN wrote an article about how this graph is Tahoma 31 and it's among the newer breeds of grass that have been developed and funding the U.S. Golf Association. It's a mix of two hybrid grasses. The process started for creating it in 2006 and the grass is became this year's Super Bowl grass. And we saw all night long, Brandon, they spent all that time growing this grass and all it turned into was a slip and slide contest. It looked like a game of twist out there for a lot of these guys and there were shot after shot on the broadcast of guys not being able to have their footing in the most important game of the season i mean you don't practice being able to plant that's just something you think is going to happen and and it was an issue for a lot of people out there i mean hell you see defenders and it was one of the more even it even the playing fields in a way that nothing else in that game did, if that makes sense. Like, I really did feel like everyone was dealing with shitty grass. And you know what? I will say, and the reason that, unfortunately, I think officiating wins in how this game will be remembered is because there's not really one memorable grass play that I can remember. And late in the game, we talked about it. Those two touchdowns for the Chiefs, the Sky Moore touchdown and the Kadarius Tony one, those required guys to be able to plant and turn, right? You're going on fly motion and then all of a sudden whipping back out the other way. Those were plays where guys needed to have their footing. The officiating at the end. So final two minutes of this game, the Kansas City Chiefs are driving. There is about two just under two minutes left. And Juju Smith-Schuster goes and tries to run one of those like double move whip route situations. And the officiating crew calls defensive holding, I believe on James Bradbury in that spot. And the result was the game was over. Like that penalty coupled with the ensuing first down immediately put Kansas City in field goal range, allowed them to start working the clock, 
led to that uh, that um, Jarek McKinnon smart play to get down and allow them to get it to like eight seconds when they finally kicked the game-winning field goal. And for what was one of the best football games we've seen all year, it had a really deflating ending because of that. And, and, like, I don't, where, where are you at as a defensive player on the call? I know you picked Kansas City, so I'm sure you didn't mind that call helping them out. But where were you as far as just watching that and if that call should have happened in that situation? I understand people being pissed off about the call. The idea that this is going to be the call that we always talk about in Super Bowl lore, especially talking about Super Bowl 57, I'm not buying Mike, and especially because the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid did what they wanted to do with that Eagles defense in the second half. The fact that they scored 24 unanswered points, not unanswered points, but the fact that they scored 24 points uh, in the second half, the fact that they scored every drive that they had, let it, may, it made me feel like the refs stopped the bleeding. Now, obviously, there's an opportunity for one last drive. We talked about on this podcast that usually Patrick Mahomes doesn't get that one last drive uh, where he's out on the field. It's usually the defense trying to defend. And, you know, maybe we got a, a, a spice of that with the last Eagles play, uh, Mike. But I don't think that the refs decided that game as much as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes decided that game. I, uh, listen, I agree. Like, overall, you want to talk about one-play swings in this game. We just mentioned a bunch of them, right? Strip sack for a touchdown. Punt return gets you all the way inside the five-yard line. It's the same thing we talked about with the Joseph Osai penalty on Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. It's never Devontae any, Smith getting you down to the one. It's never any one play, Brandon, but all those were players. And the last thing yeah. anyone wants is officiating impacting the outcome of the game at the end of this. I don't think it was an egregiously bad call. Like, you can see the jersey pull on there. You can see right. what they were looking at there. I would always prefer, if it's ticky-tack, it to be let go, for it to be decided by players in that moment. If it had been, I'd imagine we'd have a similar or at least somewhat comparable amount of outrage from Chiefs fans who yeah. were like, why wasn't this called? We've got a million camera angles and people would be going after it. But in general... I didn't think it was egregious, but I wish it hadn't been called there because officiating in any way being inserted into the final couple minutes of a game, especially like that one where it was it was the death knoll, like that was the play that set up the end of this one, and it wasn't, I think, as clear and obvious as the Joseph Osai hit out of bounds on Patrick Mahomes. Like that one to me was, oh, I saw that. That was absolutely right. far enough out of bounds. You're going to make them throw that flag. Let's get this on. This one to me was close enough in the hand fighting that we see in a game where there weren't, I believe, a ton of penalties outside of the Eagles' weird uh, delay of game uh, runs there. The Eagles, uh, the Chiefs were called for three penalties all game and the Eagles were called for six. And again, a couple of those were procedural penalties. So this wasn't a game that featured a ton of flags. And for it to pop up there in that moment, to me, really soured the end of this game. Not in a way that it's going to be remembered all time, like you pointed out, but unfortunately in a way that Monday and Tuesday, when we look back at this game, is going to be a much bigger headline than the NFL wants. Yeah, the fact that it was not connected directly to the play, I can see why, you know, Eagles fans would be up in arms about it. But any football fan, professional college, youth league, high school, has experienced refs ruining the games or taking it into their hands. And that's why coaches preach, don't let it come down to a call. And that's what we're talking about. Like, every, it's not just one play that happens, but like, it's important to, because of these instances, take 
the ball by the balls and take the game by your hand. Like, you have to go win the game. Like, if the refs can can call a holding call to end it, yes, I understand. And maybe that's the refs being, like, football tone deaf and and knowing they should swallow the whistle in that moment. But they hadn't been been blowing the whistle the entire time. And even with that, that discrepancy with the six penalties for the Eagles and the three for the Chiefs, I guarantee you those the final yardage was was wasn't about fifteen yards off. Yeah, it was. It was. It was fourteen yards for the Eagles and thirty three yards for the Chiefs. Or uh, excuse me, fourteen yards for the Chiefs and thirty three yards of penalty yardage for the Eagles. So, Brandon, again, we're, we're saying the same thing. Like, yeah, it's never any one play, but the fact that this is the last memory of the end of that game sucks. Objectively sucks, and I wish it hadn't been called in that spot. I think it was close enough to where it probably could have gone either way, and I wish it had gone the other way there. I understand. I'm not saying it's the worst call I've ever seen. I can understand why an official would throw the flag in that spot, but it just soured the end of an otherwise great game, and that sucks. Well, I mean, the Ravens have done great things on on field goal. I hate bringing it always to the Ravens, but that field goal kick, Mike, they was kicking in the paint. Like, it was a slippery game. Like, I, I don't think that was as automatic. And that's, that's a, Harrison Buckner also missed that missed that, uh, missed the field goal earlier I, in the I game. I get it, and I appreciate Greg Olson trying to simultaneously drive up interest and then also not get called out for potentially announcer jinxing this by mentioning that Harrison Buckner was his teammate prior to that. So, he really <laughs> covered his bases on that one. The Stugatz is strong in him but Brandon it, it, it sealed the game like that penalty it was over after that barring a miracle the Chiefs got to kneel it out play the clock game make Philly use their last couple timeouts like it was the defining play of the end of that game and nobody wants that as a part of this conversation nobody is better outside of Chiefs fans certainly for having that the general NFL sphere is worse for that call having happened I agree, and I love what Bradbury said after the game. He said it was holding. I tucked his jersey, but I was hoping they let it slide. And that is the mentality of a lot of football players in yes. this game, like holding. Otherwise, like there's penalties that happen left and right on every freaking play. Even Greg Olson talked about the uh, what was the um, uh, was it wasn't offsides. It was false start. And usually they'll let, they'll let somebody get a playoff big a big score, but they blew the whistle early. Like there's a lot of things that they just let slide. So players operate that way. It's like I'm gonna do what I can to 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 try to win this game and beat this individual uh, matchup. And if they call it, they call it. Yeah, it, that is absolutely right. Most players, and I think that bleeds into even life after, are always gonna believe, hey, I control my outcomes. And if something bad happened. I could have done better, and I could have been better on this. And for guys hurting right after that, you can definitely understand where that comes from. So, again, doesn't take the overall memory of this Super Bowl. It was incredible from start to finish. You did have the emotional moments after. You saw the Kelsey brothers hug there. You saw the shots of Jason Kelsey on the losing side, having an emotional moment with his mom on the field. So, it, it still had all of that big feeling. And on the backside, like we said, we're going to get to spend weeks talking about what this means for Patrick Mahomes as a guy who may already be a top four quarterback all time in NFL history. But that was still a big part of this story. Uh, Brandon, big part of Mondays for us is always roses. Uh, we give away two roses each and every weekend, bachelor, bachelorette style, to make sure that people feel the love for what they did over the weekend um, to make sure we got some of this. We will have halftime and commercial breakdowns coming up in this, that, and the third. So don't think we forgot about Rihanna. Oh, no, no, no. Mm. We did not do that. Um, 
Brandon, let's get to the roses here. A lot of deserving candidates. I mean, you had Nick Sirianni uh, giving us a new crying Jordan meme at the beginning of this game, which was incredible. Um, what uh, What do you have for your first rose of the weekend? Uh, my first rose of the weekend, Mike, has to go to LeBron James. I know, I know. Man, the ESPN is strong in you. No, well, you know, yeah, and and the yeah, okay, yes, he was at the game, Mike, as 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 the king often does. He is he's usually where all the eyes are. Uh, he was up in the box with Savannah and you know his his crew uh, around. There's pictures of him taking pictures with Demar Hamlin. Demar Hamlin tweeted it from his Android. Uh, I just want to throw that out there, uh, but. LeBron James got put on the on the on the big screen, and this is why he's getting my rose. He got put on the big screen during the game, and the crowd booed him. Right now, these are Eagles fans and Chiefs fans simultaneously deciding that LeBron James was Drake, and they wanted to just unanimously boo him. Right, and and to which LeBron responded by mimicking putting a crown on his head. As just like a a simple gesture to the booze, Mike. I thought that was great. Uh, I was I was uh, I was motivated by it. I, I thought it was it was very fitting that in the Super Bowl, LeBron James would take this over just like he did that third quarter of the uh, OKC game where he surpassed uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I know we hadn't got a chance to talk about that just yet, Mike, so I wanted to let you react to the fact that LeBron James, after Super Bowl Sunday, is getting a rose from me. Uh, not surprised in the least, considering, again, when we were watching that game in a bar, I went over to make fun of how extra LeBron was, and Brandon was on the verge of tears, having just snapped four or five pictures of the TV, watching this <laughs> moment like a proud parent with his iPad out, taking photos from oh, the crowd. Oh, my gosh. Mike, do you know Do you know where he's at all time now? Like, I mean, it's, it's really, really remarkable. Like, he moved Karl Malone down. Uh, we don't have to get into it, but... Yeah, that's, all, that's, that's always a good thing. But, no, uh, an incredible <laughs> moment of crowd shots, too. I appreciated it. Well, we did get to see LeBron James, who did that nice thing, taking a picture with that little girl that came to and was excited to see him at the Pacers game, yes. sat down next to him, had that startled response. Like, that was a cool move. You like to see that, knowing he wasn't playing, and those kids were bummed they didn't get to see him. But the rest of the crowd shots, Brandon, did you see when they panned over to Rod? Roger Goodell, the most like odd couple setting of Roger Goodell next to Donna Kelsey next to DeMar Hamlin. That was Roger Goodell putting on his boo shield. Like, oh, are you going to boo the mom of the Super Bowl and DeMar Hamlin? No, absolutely not. So he sat himself right next to the two most unbooable people in the stadium. Mike, remember last year it was Sierra and Russell Wilson? Yes. And like, like, what are these? Like, I feel like... Whoever sits next to Roger Goodell, that seat map, it was as random as our boxes that we built with, with Charlotte on Wilder Wednesdays. Yes, 100, 100%. It was it was the build your all-time NFL booth on steroids in that game. Uh, glad. 23. <laughs> My God. Um, the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, 
Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, um, I will give out my first rose for the evening here, Brandon. I'm going to stick with the crowd and go Eagles fans for booing Dak Prescott receiving the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award pregame. We often talk about how fans react to certain situations. Like I was critical of the fans in Seattle when they booed Russ coming back at the beginning of the year and a lot of fans acting an ass in certain spots. Obviously, we're very pro player on this podcast. I'm almost always going to side with the players in these interactions. This felt like the sweet spot where it wasn't too much animus. There wasn't anything ugly about it, but it was a crowd that was at least half Eagles fans watching a Dallas Cowboys player receive an award on the field. And just on principle, that feels like a good spot to boo. And I just loved seeing that for the award for more or less the best like community ambassador off the field in yes. the NFL that season. It was a chef's kiss moment for me. Philly fans, incredibly well done. What's your second rose, Brandon? Speaking of booing, um, no one booed this man, but maybe they should have. I'm going to give my rose to Terry Bradshaw. I'm going to give my rose to Terry Bradshaw, not because of what he said, but the entertainment that he offered after the game. He was uh, one of the lucky analysts from the Fox booth that got a chance to, I don't know, was it MC the, the trophy presentation? And I hate to see it, Mike, but he was fat shaming Andy Reid the entire time. Mm. He kept referring to him as a big guy when he was when he was talking to the owner of the was, Kansas City Wait, Chiefs. was it a big guy or was it like, hey, big guy, like you say sort of the jokingly? The big guy. The big guy. Let me get the big guy over there. Big guy, get your big ass over here. He didn't say that. But he said, big guy, I want the, I want the big guy. I want the big guy. And then he, he says, as he's walking over to him, waddle on over here. Wait a minute. Here, here it is. Here it is. Here, here I, found, I found the quotes. Is it me, but was Terry Bradshaw a jerk to Andy Reid during the trophy presentation? Wallow on over here? Cheeseburger on mean? I mean, why is it okay to be an overweight person being fat shamed during the trophy presentation? So I'll say this. Waddle on over, definitely out of bounds. The cheeseburger is so part of the brand with Andy Reid. I don't feel like that one hits nearly as hard. I even said this week, okay. I may have picked the Eagles, but maybe part of me knew that I had that email from Schlosser or that DM from Schlosser because I had probably eaten three cheeseburgers by Wednesday this past week. So I think something inside <laughs> me was rooting for the Chiefs. So I agree with you, though. That first one was out of bounds. And at times, Terry Bradshaw's had way too thick of a goatee. And I think we need to talk more about how that's Ooh. not okay in modern culture. <laughs> too thick of a goatee like listen people are calling for his retirement which i don't uh agree with just because listening to him talk on the podium is like listening to me talking this podcast is like 
I'm trying to find the words, but they're not coming. But the difference is Terry Bradshaw is obviously an older man and dealing with health issues, and I'm 32 years old and concussed. But I do think it was a bad look for the Fox people. And I hope Terry Bradshaw well, because I don't think this is going to get slid under the rug. Like talking about players saying, yeah, I did it. I messed up. I just hope that they would let it slide. I don't know if people are going to let this slide, Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, I have a feeling they probably will, but I don't know. Okay. Still, we don't appreciate fat shaming on this podcast. The large no. community stands behind Andy Reid firmly and his well, uh, well-pressed dad attire constantly taking over the stage every time he's on it. So... Uh, Brandon, my second rose uh, goes to the other major event that we saw on the weekend, the Waste Management Open Streaker. So while the Super Bowl was going on in Arizona, you also had at TPC Scottsdale the Waste Management Open, a.k.a. Party Time, a.k.a. What If Happy Gilmore became real life for one golf course and specifically one hole in that 16th hole. And, well... I believe it was Friday's round. It was, I'm so mad about an hour before I got to the course that day. As what? I am pulling up to the lot where you get dropped off by rideshare and then I have to take a bus over to the actual course. I'm getting texts from friend of the podcast, Marshall Newhouse, saying we got a streaker on 16. And Friday, a man took off across the green, lifted his arms up and did a pole dance with the flag stick before security started to run up there. He then outmaneuvered the officials and belly flopped into a nearby pond. He then swam up onto the little island. They had WMO out in the middle of the pond. He swam up to that, got on top of it, and continued to stunt in front of the congregation. They ended up arresting him. Go look up his mugshot online. It's exactly what you'd imagine this guy to look like. But Brandon, that is a man who understood the assignment. He's going to pay for it a little bit on the back end, but he got to be the hero of the day. Nobody was hurt in the process. Again, streaker's a loose term because he wasn't actually naked, but it was definitely within the spirit of what that hole represents. Yes, Mike, and the first person that tried to tackle him, he broke them off something beautiful. Bruh, he was like Boston Scott in the open field, giving him the big leg. I Honestly, he reminds me of uh, a 2023 Joe Dirt. I, I'm glad they got some action uh, out there at, at Waste Management. Beautiful course. Uh, we probably deserved full frontal, but you know we'll take what we can get. Congratulations to Scotty Scheffler, who also won the tournament uh, this year, too. Which oh, yeah. I, I went to that tournament, Brandon, for all of Friday, and I think I saw three golf swings the entire time. I had to make it a point to go over and say, I'm actually going to watch someone play this hole because the whole rest of the time you're just drinking and carrying on. It's a blast. It lives up to the hype. I got to say, Waste Management Open, you guys know what you're doing. That's a great freaking time. Yeah, golf in general. I did the uh, move I used to do at Dunkin' Donuts when I was a kid, which is go up to the counter to order a breakfast sandwich and then order two donuts to eat in line while I wait for my breakfast sandwich. I just did that with Miller Lights uh. while I was walking to the area where DraftKings had their little hospitality suite. Had a couple of road Miller Lights on the way in, got after like it. It was that. a great time. So, I, I That reminds me of on the way home, I asked for two cookies uh from from american the, the little biscoff cookies oh people people around me they jump they're like oh do you you can do that yeah you damn skip you asked for them two cookies i will say one of the greatest joys in life is when they give you two cookies without you having to ask oh man yes that doesn't doesn't happen to me as much as it used to like 
I thought my bigness would would elude that I need those two cookies. I feel like that's game script dependent where you need a few other people in the rows to have been asleep or turned it down. So they got extra and it's like cops at the end of the month. You got to meet the quota on tickets. And so they're just like, here, you take these. They identify you as a big guy. They kind of know the unspoken bond and they throw a couple your way. So I hope I wish that for everyone uh, who has that coming up here. Um, Brandon. In order to get to the rest of what we want to talk about with the Super Bowl, everything that's gone really well here, it's time to ask the most important question of the day. Do you know what time it is, Brandon? I do, Mike. I do, and I am inspired by the tune that Travis Kelsey decided to force into the narrative of this run. This was never a part of it. But here we go. I already missed my cue. You wake up late for school, man, you don't want to go. You ask your mom, please, and she still says no. You miss two classes and no homework. But your teacher breaches class like she's some kind of jerk. You gotta this for the that and the third. Oof. The triumphant return of this, that, and the third, Brandon. How'd you feel after Super Bowl week, man? You got to rest the pipes for a week. Terrible, Mike. Terrible. My voice is shot. You sound okay at best, but let's believe we will all get better as the weeks go on. But jumping in with some Beastie Boys and some loud screaming, perfect for what I got going on right now. Yeah, the perfect medicine for a week of drinking and talking nonstop for the rest of the day here. My throat is destroyed. Speaking of tight ends fighting for the right to party, Gronk Beach is not the way to cap off the week if you want to be able to speak for the Monday podcast. <laughs> I felt I I legitimately woke up Sunday morning and sounded like Wright Thompson. I thought that was what you guys were going to get today on the podcast. Dude, so so Stugatz came through. Yes, it sounded like I walked out of Waste Management Open in the Gronk Beach, and I smelled like I had been chain-smoking cigarettes. Like, I got secondhand smoke to the max. Weed smoke, cigarette smoke, cigar smoke, all the above. Did you meet Bobby Goons? I didn't get to meet Bobby Goons, but I did see Stugatz meet Bobby Goons, which... Okay. was even more joyous. It was like those unlikely animal pairings in the wild. It was beautiful to see. If you enjoyed the return of this, that, and the third, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go, Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and tell Brandon how much that meant to you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Brandon, let's get to the other important parts of the Super Bowl here and start with this. Super Bowl halftime show. Rihanna, back out there and... We can get to the set list in a second, but we know what the biggest part of this halftime show was. I think men everywhere 
probably felt how I felt, which is, I think I know what everyone's talking about. (laughs) I hear what everyone's talking about, but I'm not going to say the thing. Because again, (laughs) fellas, if you are ever in a public setting and you have a question of, is this woman pregnant? Under no circumstances, until you have it confirmed by at least two doctors, several women in your life, and multiple media outlets, do you even think of broaching that subject with that woman or about that woman in public? That ain't your lane, that ain't your body, that ain't your space. And so I sat there on my hands, watching the rest of the timeline, hmm and ha and suppose, until I saw this reported by multiple outlets that Rihanna was in fact pregnant and used the Super Bowl halftime show to reveal that she was pregnant with now her second child. Yes, and all the jokes that come saying they call him ASAP for a reason, because Mike... What you said is true and how you opened it was so true. But me being a parent and sensitive to those things and also watching with my wife, uh, I started doing the math. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So their son or their last child was born in May. Now, you can have a little postpartum belly for, you know, as long as you choose. Like, as long as you choose. So, the way she was flaunting it, in a way, I was like, okay, this is some body positivity. Other than what Terry Bradshaw was getting ready to do with with Andy Reid. Like, this is just some body positivity. Like, we see the stomach. But then, Mike, on the last song, Diamonds, as she was hoisted X amount of feet in the air, the way she was playing with their belly, singing about life. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't a burrito here, baby. We are talking about baby number two from Rihanna. And I didn't even read this until after I saw it, that she had sat down with Nate Burlinson and said that a special guest was going to be there. And there was no special guests. She was talking about a baby. Yeah, and, about that, damn baby. And I, that was the first time where I started to go, oh, okay, we might be able to actually say this because I saw Nate retweet that with the bullseye. So I'm sure he yes. got told that before off air. A representative for Rihanna also confirmed it to the Hollywood Reporter. So we have gotten seen in enough places where we can now talk about it and say congratulations to Rihanna and marvel at the fact that she is six months removed from having one child, currently pregnant with another child, and still managed to go out there and put on what I thought, Brandon, was a banger of a Super Bowl halftime show it just reminded me we hadn't heard from rihanna like musically in so long this woman was the soundtrack for most of us in our like early 30s early to mid 30s that was the soundtrack of college for us so many of those songs was the stuff that we partied to during our college career yeah mike but not a a ton of solo efforts so it, it was difficult to choose the set list. Like, I feel like some other Super Bowl halftime shows, maybe they've stuck on songs too long, but I felt like I've gotten a chance to really chew on one song where Rihanna really just, you know, did what she's supposed to do, giving you a, a, a little bit of everything to the point where you even forgot, like, oh my gosh, yes, she was in on, she was one of the 12 people that was on all of the lights. Right. And then once you heard, so listen, I wrote this down. She started off, and me, me and you talked about it at nauseum while we were there in the Super Bowl, that I, I was for sure that she was going to start the evening out with a more of a B-side hit, right? Like, not, not one of her more mainstream hits, and it was, bitch, better have my money. 
okay, to start the Super Bowl. You consider that a B-side hit? Yeah, I I would say it's a top it's a top B side hit. Yes, I, I'd say it's yes, right on the border. Like that's I'm talking about vibes and, and sonically versus the right, like the Calvin Harris type. It, it's of, by like, no means her biggest hit. It's not one of the ones. It's like a dance hall song or anything like that. But yeah, it's but when you get to status like her, her B sides are are hits that people our age definitely know. But maybe our parents are like. Uh, I may have heard this in a commercial one time. Versus, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it was. It went from "It's Better Have My Money" to uh, "Where Have You Been?" Where have you been? Which was similar. Uh, we had heard before that she was going to kind of send messages with some of these, and so I think that was an homage to the fact that we had not heard from her in so uh, long. Musically, yes. Only girl in the world. Yep. Found love. With a fireworks show to go along with that, which was one of the many elements of that show production-wise that absolutely sang beautifully. Yeah, it, it, with that open roof, I can't imagine how much it hit. Then hit him with the rude boy. Mm. Ooh, into the work. Into the wild things, Mike. I, I wasn't expecting wild things. The DJ Khaled, Bryson Tiller song. Yeah, and we, you know, we should have known something was up. I feel like we were all looking for little clues up to the point about the special guest. We had wondered if it was going to be Jay-Z, if maybe it was going to be Drake. And all along the way, you had DJ Khaled as a part of the pre-taped opens for both teams. You had Jay-Z walking out, shown heavily on the TV, uh, the TV copy of this game. And then, I don't know if you caught this, the commercial break right before halftime show, they were bumping back into the broadcast with a Drake song. And I was like full tinfoil hat, uh. like, oh, maybe this is a sign. He was in town performing at one of these parties here. And so, yeah, that was. was one of those moments that definitely fed into that. Yes, Mike, but then Pour It Up came. And it started getting saucy. And then all of the lights. And then I thought that was interesting because all the lights, it switched from those wonderful dancers that I saw somebody online said, this must be ASAP Rocky sperm because they were all just dressed in white, jumping around. <laughs> just everywhere on the field, bouncing around, talking about clues. There was all dancers in these, uh, and we forgot to mention the stage, Mike. Just this long, I mean, people watch the damn Super Bowl. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was it, it was elevated. But anyway, so when they went from the dancers to the band, I thought that was significant. Then all the lights into Run This Town, into Umbrella, into Diamonds. Yeah. It was just like a crescendo. And with the crescendo, she was elevating ab- above the stage. She started above the stage, and she ended above the stage. And I don't know how many times we got a chance to see her, hear her sing, because I, I don't know how much was actually matching up for me as I was watching, but Diamonds felt like it was the, the one song that like I def, it was definitely her up there belting it out. I was very glad that she was the only performer on stage for this. I think yes. that, like you said, start to finish, getting that moment at the end where it was her alone with the microphone, really cool, really powerful moment for her and her return to the public eye. I thought production-wise, these are made-for-television events now, these halftime shows. You can go all the way back to Lady Gaga diving off the top. Like These are visual effects meant for home, and you talked about it. The rising and falling platforms that her and a bunch of the other dancers were on, the way they used the camera angles with the dancers down there to do some cool visual effects. All of it, for someone who 
because she was pregnant and just because Rihanna's never really been like the person who has been an overwhelmingly great dancer as far as the choreography and these things used all right. of that to just come. There wasn't a lot of movement from her and there didn't need to be because of all these other elements of the performance. And then wall to wall, she's got bangers. And when you're building the foundation of any one of these, if you don't have bangers, it ain't going to go very well. And she had hits. So top to bottom, man, I thought it was a really, really enjoyable Super Bowl halftime performance. It is definitely in the last two years trends of artists that are nostalgic for us and the stuff that we listened to in college. But fuck them kids. It's awesome. And I had a great time with it. So not her kids. Hey, I mean, the like kids that might be yeah, that yeah. these aren't modern artists type thing. But who yes, would be with the Rihanna? kids. Yes, of course. Yeah, whoever, whoever the uh, okay. I'm not getting into it politically, but good job on Apple for their first showing. Yeah, right now, like I, I don't know what's to come. Like obviously they were slinging playlists left and right. If you have Apple Music, uh, getting people ready for this play, uh, this uh, this performance, Mike. But I thought they did a really good job. I thought Rihanna, like you said, wasn't a bunch of movement. That's only comparing it to other place, other times we've seen. Uh, and other performances because she walked up and down that whole stage and did a little makeup check at one point in time and was very very sexual and how in her little in the individual little moments i didn't even think uh, about the makeup check that was probably her makeup line fendi dude duh that's that's why it she's level. That's why she's got it like that, man. That's why. Yeah, that's man. why she's one of the best. Um, I did also. You mentioned ASAP Rocky. I appreciated seeing him in the crowd in like khakis, basically with his iPad out, looking like a dad at a middle school basketball game. <laughs> it was incredibly <laughs> wholesome content. So, congratulations yes. uh, to Rihanna and ASAP Rocky uh, for their uh, upcoming child. That cool announcement and a great Super Bowl halftime show. Um, Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, we also had the commercial element of the Super Bowl that is always a part of this watch. Overall, were you impressed by the commercials? We talked a lot about this with Charlotte. I think we've passed the golden age of uh, Super Bowl commercials, but what did you think of them? I did enjoy the commercials, Mike. Uh, I did enjoy the commercials. I saw someone online say they're, they kind of resemble a DJ Khaled album, just in the sense of just getting uh, popular people to be in one room promoting one item, which is fair. And that's kind of what they got. But there was something about, it felt like going back to form. I guess there wasn't a lot that I saw uh, before time, but even the ones I did see before time hit when they were supposed to. Like the Jack Harlow Triangle commercial, which mm. was one of my favorites. And I know obviously I'm a Louisville guy. I'm a guy who eats Doritos. So obviously I lean that way. But there was something there about Jack Harlow acting and being serious about bringing the triangle into the mainstream that I loved. Yeah, the triangle was, I'm not going to lie, it lived up to it. It was definitely one of the better commercials. Like, overall, I don't think it was a great crop. I think that one, the uh, Bush Light Sarah McLaughlin commercial, this is a different kind yeah. of rep. This is a different kind of sanctuary, and that's a wolf. Flawless. <laughs> The E-Trade baby making an appearance back in the Super Bowl ads was a welcome sight for me. That was one of the early commercials. Um, the Breaking Bad Popcorners chip commercial. Obviously, uh, we've got Brian Cranston and uh, Jesse both in the news for their Mezcal now a lot. But them basically recreating some of the early scenes of Breaking Bad was pretty awesome. Yeah, I, th I thought that was that I laughed out loud after that. Um 
and I wasn't expecting to. It doesn't like make me want to run and go watch Breaking Bad, but that that was well done. But yeah, I think they're they've been so mid lately that it was just nice to see the effort at the comedy. And but like I there there wasn't a bunch like back in the day you would walk away with about five. Yeah, you were like, ooh, I'm gonna go look that one up again. I will say. One, shout out to Kevin Hart in the DraftKings commercial. Thought everyone involved in that did a phenomenal job. The best commercial of Super Bowl weekend by far, obviously. Um, Amen. The per capita Boston mentions in this between Ben Affleck working at Dunkin' Donuts in that first commercial, the Sam Adams, okay. your cousin from Boston series that remains one of my favorites on TV. Both of those really representing for a Patriots team that was not here. <laughs> yes, I thought I thought the Ben Affleck commercial was actually one that I, I'd write home about, but also the Sneaky Blue Moon commercial. Yes, I thought I I thought that I thought that resonated with me. It was the Miller Lite, no Coors Light commercial, and I was like, wait a minute, like I understand they're all owned by the same people. They're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. <gasps> Blue Moon plot twist. Love a great plot, plot twist, twist there. Much better than a normal M Night Shyamalan one. Uh, award for horniest Super Bowl commercial goes to the Dodge Ram, the electric Dodge Ram that they talked about with charging that was basically one long pun on premature ejaculation. Dodge, one bonk for you. Incredibly horny on the biggest possible stage. Wait a minute, was that the Jeep? The Jeep electric four? Uh, so it was, it wasn't a Wrangler one? It wasn't, no, there was a different electric Wrangler one. This was like an electric Dodge, I think an electric Dodge Ram. And it was all of these men's, men saying oh. these like same similar euphemisms for not being able to get it up or, you know, going too early or anything like that, that were all related to the charge on their car and not being able to do outdoorsy stuff. Just incredibly overtly uh, horny. I love a horny commercial, Mike. I'm married. Speaking of that, the M&Ms made their uh, way back. The spokes candies <gasps> oh, yeah. really lackluster, by the way. Like the payoff was not good enough at all. Not good. Like Maya, Maya Rudolph having to be like in an SNL character skit of like screaming at people in her like deep voice and scared. Like, like I thought that was, it made no sense. Like chocolate covered clams. Is the, oh, the you know the what? My- Maybe I missed that one, and I only saw the second one where they had the spokes candies come back. Because I don't think I saw the one that had Maya Rudolph in it. So I will actually withdraw my overall oh. judgment of that because I don't think I saw the right commercial. Well, I didn't see the second one, Mike. I, I saw the <laughs> so so we're working on two halves of her brain. Like it was Maya is it turns M and M's to Maya's. And instead of chocolate covered candies, they're chocolate covered clams. And Maya Rudolph was on the bag. And like the people who were like trying to help her out was making nasty faces. Like this is this product isn't good. Like I don't want to be selling this. And she was like, Y'all gonna like it. It's it's chocolate covered clams. And shit like that. So oh, I mean I uh, support Maya Rudolph getting to the bag, but thank you for giving yeah. my sexy candies back. Um by the way, the only commercial I really had beef with, Brandon, Farmer's Dog. That dog food commercial where they insinuated with a bunch of jumps in time that that dog might die, had me crying, did not need that, did not need the implication that that dog might die. That was an attack on all of our psyches at a time where we're very vulnerable. If you're going to have dogs in the Super Bowl commercials, it needs to be funny, it needs to be cute, it needs to be wholesome. It does not need to in any way hint at their mortality in a way that's going to make me think about that while I swear stare at my sweet dogs. I got to be on the other side of it, Mike. It's very important to know that our best friend 
man's best friend, woman's best friend, our favorite member of the household. We love him too much, and then we just love him out of out of existence. So I, I thought I thought it was I. I to be honest with you, I didn't see the commercial. <laughs> Brandon, let's uh, let's get to the third. Um, this is the only non Super Bowl story we've got of the day. This news actually uh, broke via Notre Dame's Notre Dame football's official Twitter account almost right before kickoff that Notre Dame offensive line coach Harry Heastan has announced that he is retiring from coaching. The statement said, I've made the decision to retire. It's important for me to spend time with my family as I have two kids competing in college athletics, one for his last season, and I've decided it's time for me to be a part of that. I'm thankful for the opportunity from Father Jenkins, Jack Swarbrick, and especially Coach Freeman gave me to return for a seventh season coaching the offensive line at Notre Dame. Um, Brandon... Coach Eastan was my offensive line coach my last year at Notre Dame. So my fifth year, the 2012 season, was his first season in South Bend before his first run there, um, and then came back for this last year. And, and we saw the effect he had in both times. Uh, I can say personally for me, Coach Eastan to me is the best offensive line coach that I've seen in college football. He is one of the best, if not the best, that we've seen, especially in the modern era of the sport. For me, he is the outside of my dad, the most important football figure in my life. Like that man, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, changed my life, believed in me when other people did not believe in me, gave me an opportunity to go out there and to earn my way onto the field and trusted me with what he was teaching and getting to be a part of the teams that I was and start that last season that I did and have those experiences has absolutely changed the way that I looked at football, changed the way that I approach a lot of things about work now. And just in general, I cannot thank Coach Eastand enough for the impact that he had on my life the pride that he restored in the Notre Dame offensive line position in that room, how much it meant to him. And I know what we've seen on the top end, the guys that lives he changed forever financially with helping them become the best players they could, the first rounders he put out there. But uh, one of the best men that I've ever been around and the success that Notre Dame football had in the last 10 years is simply not possible without Coach Eastand. Like he is integral to everything good that happened for this program from my last year through these seasons now. And so I, I I hope he enjoys that time with his family. His family is incredible. We got to meet them and spend a lot of time with them uh, as players with them around there. And he deserves every bit of the good rest that he has coming his way now. Hey, I, I just thank you for telling us his story via your story. And, and you know, obviously we're friends and you've talked to us, me personally about just how important he was to your career, but to Notre Dame in general, uh, like you said, a, a university that is known for putting linemen in the NFL. We just lost Tommy, and I was worried about that. Now I'm even more worried about, uh, you know, because there's there's certain players or there's certain coaches that are just you just can't repeat, oh. repeat, and you, you just can't replicate. And I feel like Notre Dame. Felt the loss of Coach Heath Stan when he wasn't there, when he was with the Bears and and had his other stints uh, outside of Notre Dame. And I'm hoping that identity uh, can stay with Notre Dame. But always, always thankful when a good man, a good coach 
finally calls it quits on his own terms. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And like you said, it, it is a loss that is impossible to fully replace. Like Chris Watt, our former teammates, there is the assistant offensive line coach right now. He was the head of line coach at Tulane last year. He played for Coach Easton. He's coached under him now. I would hope they give him a long, hard look. I would love to see them keep that continuity there with Chris, who understands the standard at that place. But it is it is a massive loss, man. Like, I, I, I don't know if I've ever told this story on air. I want to say I have somewhere. But, like, the reason that me and so many others would run through a brick wall for this guy, like, the reason so many people go back to him. Like, I got cut my rookie year in Pittsburgh. I went back and was working out in South Bend. I would go up and see Coach Heastan and just, you know, talk about what the guys were doing there. And when I was up there at one point, he asked kind of where I was at. And I told him I'm working out and trying for another shot. And he said, all right, go put together a highlight tape, you know, cut-ups from your last year, have the guys in the video department help you do that, cut-ups from your pro day. And then he, along with those, hand-wrote a note to every offensive line coach he knew in the NFL on any team that he knew it, along with that, vouching for me and giving, you know, giving me that stamp of approval and that was not something he had to do, but that is something that he does for the guys that gave everything they could to him and the people that worked under him. And that's just the kind of man and coach that he was. And so a uh, huge loss uh, for Notre Dame, but again, a, an unbelievable uh, career, a kingmaker, you know, a guy when he showed up on campus for us, we saw his reputation everywhere he had been of getting guys to the pros and producing high quality, talented, you know, high quality, well-coached players who got coached as hard as anyone's going to get coached. But if you stuck with it, you were going to come out on the other side better than you could have possibly been otherwise. So, uh, big thanks to coach. He stand, um, and, uh, happy in happy retirement. I, I hope he gets to enjoy it, man. Offensive line coaches love just sitting around looking, looking at cutups and, and kind of going through all the hard work. So I, I hope he finds another hobby somewhere along the way and gets to relax a little bit. But, uh, I hope you guys got to relax a little bit during this podcast and coming off Super Bowl weekend. If you didn't enjoy it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review and uh, check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Uh, the DraftKings YouTube channel you can subscribe to. The Gojo of Michael Jr. playlist that you can catch all of our videos on. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.